Luke 11, please, in your Bibles. Luke 11 here this afternoon. You have no idea how those testimonies stirred my heart. Because what it told me is that what God is telling me is what God is telling you too. Burdens and stirrings of the souls of you young people is the essence. It is, I believe, the key to Baptist College of Ministry. And I really do believe that we need a divine interruption. You know, as uh, Pastor Kagan was preaching in that last session, I was thinking, wow, the finger of God showed up in that room. And I was thinking, we need the finger of God to show up in this room. We need God to show his mighty arm to us in a way that conquers all of us. You know, um, when I think of what I received from BCM as a, a student graduate, particularly in my undergraduate years, the greatest thing I ever received was that part of my soul that learned the absolute indispensable need for the presence of God. I'm going to say something that I trust is not fair, okay? We're going to ask a question. Has the glory departed? Has the glory departed from the student body of Baptist College of Ministry? Full disclosure, I have no idea how this sermon's going to go. I've got a lot written down and none of it organized. And I've got a burden on my heart here today, so just bear with me. I have um, what I believe is a burden from the Lord. We're going to be looking at this text here in just a second. But if I could, perhaps by way of introduction, bring you back to the children of Israel when they had the tabernacle. They there had that tent. And in that tent was the ark of God. That ark of God for the children of Israel represented the presence of God. The leaders there in that place weren't walking with God. There was a man who didn't deal with his sons, and his sons were doing all kinds of terrible things in that tabernacle there at that time. God was not pleased, and God used a young man named Samuel to stand up and declare truth to power. And there in those moments, God worked, and yet you find, even though things happened, what ended up happening was the ark of God was taken. And there's that woman, right? That woman who was pregnant, she had a child. And in the process of childbirth, that's when all this stuff happened. Eli fell over, had a heart attack. The ark of God was taken. And what did she name her son? Do you know? Ichabod. Because the glory had departed. That which made Israel special, the presence of God there in that midst, the place where they went, not just to talk to God or talk about God. It was God himself was there on that mercy seat. And it wasn't just that they lost their little trinket to the enemy. It was that in their minds, the very reality and manifest presence of God was gone there at that time. 
And I don't want to spiritualize anything, but I want to say this. You and I are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And he is in you. And friends, the most valuable thing about you and me is God in us. It is the presence of God in our midst. And what can happen is at times... Maybe not so much in such a dramatic display as those enemies coming in and pilfering the ark of God, the presence of God from their midst. Perhaps it's more like Samson where you just get up one day and you know not that the glory of God has departed from you. And what can happen is it doesn't really bother you. The machines of your life keep on moving. You keep on plugging along, doing what you do, endeavoring to grow. And it's good. I'm telling you, you need to grow. But just endeavoring to do the next thing. And what can happen is you go on your life and the glory had departed. And perhaps it's never been there. Perhaps you've never known what it's meant to have the manifest presence of God in your life. I don't just mean God showed you a couple cool little things in your devotion. And I don't even just mean it was a prayer meeting where somebody kind of sort of raised their voice. I'm not talking about emotion. I'm talking about reality. Here today, young people, has the glory departed not only from your life, but from our midst. All is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. It may not be Bible, but it's pretty good stuff. You know, I find sometimes in my own life, this has happened many times throughout the years, many times, far more than I'd care to admit, I find myself working, laboring, seeking to obey God in His will and do what He's called me to do. But the glory isn't there. God may be in me, but he's not there. He's not in in the meeting. And I fear sometimes we can set the kindling all around the altar, right? We can put the, 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 the cow on top, or I guess in the case of Elijah, right? Douse it in water and put a little trench around it, fill it up with water. We can do all the prep work of getting right with God, of surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ, and we can do all of those things. But young men, young ladies, what good is it if the fire of God doesn't come down upon us? How is that going to affect the worshipers of Baal around us? How is that going to change our lives, our communities, our world? I argue it will not. We may look the part. We may have all of our ducks in a row. We may be doing everything right. But if the fire of God is not there, you are wasting your time. And we all are wasting our time. You're wasting your money. You're wasting your life. I remember in my days at school, there were a number of students. We were not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but there was a heart and a hunger to seek the presence of God that was there. We heard stories constantly, it seemed, all the time of major movements of God in past times in history. And many of us in our hearts, we craved for God to do it again, and many times he did. 
I remember times in school when young people, not because they had to, not because it was a scheduled thing to let you be in the building after six on a Saturday night, but students, just because they had a desperate sense of longing for the presence of God, would have impromptu prayer meetings all over the place, getting on their faces in the fellowship halls in some back hallway somewhere, just trying to seek God because we need a move of God in this world. There were times when students would literally weep and wail. I mean wail. There were times when even in one of those impromptu prayer meetings, we came up the carp up off, we got up off the ground with the pattern of the carpet on our face, but the glory of God in our hearts. I cannot tell you how many times we met with God. In my time, it was not my classes that changed my life. It was the times that I met God that changed my life during my time at BCM. And I fear, I fear that what can happen is a student body can get the machinery oiled, greased, and put together and doing just fine, but miss God in it all. You get great grades and miss the presence of God. You can have the greatest character and miss the presence of God. You can do it all to perfection and miss the presence of God. And I'm here to tell you, friend, that's a rotten way to live. God hasn't called us to just eke out uh, a Christianity that is subpar And frankly, he hasn't called us to eke out a Christianity that's amazing and excellent. He's called us to eke out, not eke out. (laughs) He's called us to demonstrate a Christianity that's supernatural. I know you guys want God, or else you wouldn't be here. I know you guys want God to use your life. But I fear sometimes we just get so proper about it all. We just get so dignified. We just get so ho-hum about God. The prayer meeting comes, and instead of being desperate, you just let all the spiritual people do the praying. Some of you'd rather have good grades than you'd have God. And I want you to know, I don't want to be one of those back-in-my-day kind of people. I know students hate to hear that, so I'm sorry. But I feel sometimes that something's missing. And I do not want to cast judgment. There's so much that is to be encouraged about. Please do not misunderstand me. But we need the presence of God. I don't think people to get different perceptions of what that is and what that means. I think some people means that everybody's just consistent and doing what they're supposed to do. I'm sorry. No. It's important. It is important. Uh, Honestly, You won't have the presence of God unless you have that. But you know, there is a sense of absolute and complete and entire unwillingness to do another thing until we have God. That you just don't always see. And it concerns me. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, the last several messages have been uh, a part of, in, in my own heart, preparing for this concept and this moment. Because until you're able to take personal responsibility for yourself, 
for you seeking God. Not your brother, not your sister, right? But you. Not looking for somebody else in the room who has a corner on God. Not looking for that other person who just always knows how to pray in the prayer meeting. Not looking at the guy who traveled or the guy who's just, the guy that's got it all together who's the spiritual guy that can preach a good sermon and, 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 and spin a, a, a good lesson in Sunday school or whatever it might be. Not just looking horizontally to somebody else to do it for you. But you, friend, you, you need to get on your face and seek the presence of God. No one can do that for you. No one. I want to go to our text here at this time. I ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter 11. There is a verse of scripture that has meant so much to me over the years. I'm going to do my best to explain it. This is very much of a heartburn kind of a message. And by that I mean I'm praying that God will put a burning in your hearts. Not at lunch. Okay. In Luke chapter 11, uh, here the scripture begins in verse number 5. Jesus is speaking. He just got done teaching them how to pray. Hmm, that's the context of this. And in verse number five, it says, And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Here's a man who has a need, right? He has a need that he senses. It's a need that he knows that he has. And frankly, it's very inconvenient for somebody to come and knock on your door in the middle of the night, right? Somebody shows up, guess what? You have obligations to that person. They have a need that it is your job to fulfill. And here is this man, he realizes, I don't have what I need. I don't have what I need to meet the need of my friend. And yes, it is embarrassing. And yes, it is inconvenient. And yes, he's caught flat-footed. And yet urgency drove him to do something that, frankly, you probably wouldn't normally do. Knock on your next-door neighbor's door in the middle of the night, Right? It drove him out of the norm. It drove him out of the normal pattern, out of his normal comfort zone. And it drove him to his friend. And it says here, and he from within shall answer and say, trouble me not, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. And here he finds rejection at first. The answer didn't come when he wanted it to come. It didn't get what he wanted immediately and right away. And immediately there's a test upon him here. And then it says, I say unto you, Verse 8, though he that is the friend inside the door that he's knocking on in the middle of the night will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his, that's the friend knocking on the door, because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And what we find here, a man he knew he had a need and was willing to go the lengths and pay the price to gain that need. Now here's the thing, this is a parable. This is the section of the story of the passage we're going to be looking at that is the parable. And in in this parable, Jesus is making a point. He's making a point about importunity. He is telling him, listen, this friend is human. We're going to see this later. This friend right here is human. He has no obligation necessarily to his friend, but because he keeps knocking at that door because he will not take no for an answer because the friend has a need that he cannot move on without that need being met, he'll get what he needs. As we go on, we find not only is there a parable, there's a promise. Verse number nine, it says, and I say unto you, Jesus is speaking, right? He's coming out of the parable. He's giving a command here. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given unto you. 
Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Wow. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Obviously, this is he hinging off of the parable that he just gave, and he's saying his friend won't get it because he's just his friend. He'll get it because he keeps on knocking. So he says to those that he's speaking to, ask, seek, knock. Of course, you understand the grammar there. Very likely the idea is keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. But friends, I want you to know if that friend never went out of his way and asked and seeked and knocked in the parable, he would have gotten nothing. He would have continued as his what is was. His friend's need would be unmet. You follow the picture? Jesus is saying you need to ask. How much life do we not have because we do not ask for it? Again, James 4 tells us, you have not because you ask not. God has so much in store for you, so much he wants to give you. The inheritance of the saint is far more than you may realize it is. God has power, he has peace, he has life, he has blessing. There's enough power in each one of us to turn the world upside down five times over. And young people, I want you to know, even though it is in you, you must ask for it. It's the paradox of the Christian life. You have God, yet you seek him. You have need, yet you have everything you need. That paradox is something not to be resolved, but something to be embraced. And young people, I fear that sometimes, yes, we rest, yet we must seek I've had people say to me, I don't really like the whole seeking the desperation side of things. I just want to learn how to rest. And yes, you need to learn how to rest, but you can rest so much. You never seek God. And I fear we can get imbalanced. How do you rest and seek at the same time? I don't know, but God can burn that burden into your heart. And I'm praying he does in this time. See, he's telling them in this matter of the promise, he's telling them, you must ask, ask. And here's the promise here. God's going to give you, wake up, young people. If you're asleep, you won't hear from God here this afternoon. He says, listen, if you ask, I will give. You will get. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you, if you ask for the presence of God, you will get it? Do you believe that it's there for the asking? Do you? I wonder if we really believe that these days. Maybe it's because we don't talk as much about the stories of the old revival days as we used to. I don't know. I was reading a little bit of Duncan Campbell, The Price and Power of Revival, and what God did there was unbelievable. Unbelievable. A prayer meeting where God came down just from the simple testimony of a young man in his prayer, asking and not taking no for an answer claiming that the glory of God, the honor of God was on the line if God did not come down, and God did come down. Oh yeah, we can argue about the incidentals and all of that stuff. You learn about that in uh, Principles of Revival, uh, History of Revival, at least I hope you will. But young people, I want you to know here today, God is still on the move in this world, and it's not just process there is crisis and we need to embrace the crisis ask and it shall be given unto you there are times when the fire of God falls but it doesn't fall unless you ask 
Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. You know, <clears throat> no idea where I'm at in my outline, but that's okay. You know, here he's saying, ask. And this promise in verse 10, every one that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be open. In verse 11, he gives a principle here. He says, if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Here he's saying essentially, listen, you are, you dads out there. I know none of you are dads. Most of you aren't dads. There's, there's a dad or two in here, right? Those of you that are fathers, if your child comes and asks you, for something that is well within what is proper to give to them, right? You want to give it? The other day, um, I asked Eva after we got here, I said, hey, Eva, what, what, what are two things you really want to do while you are here? And one of them was, he sa- she said, I want to share a milkshake with you, Daddy. And I thought, I can handle that, <laughs> right? And she didn't ask me what I wanted, but I wanted lots of burgers, Okay? And I gave myself that. Saw these burgers. Oh, man. Heart attack on a plate. It's amazing. But you know what? As much as my heart is to give something, if it's an appropriate and a good thing for my child to give, I want to give them those things. And the heart of God is like that, young people. That is God's heart for you. That is God's heart for me. That is God's heart for all of us. He says here, if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? And what's he getting at? Verse 13, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more? How much more? The desire of God is more than yours ever could be towards your your children is what he's saying. How much more will, shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? I know some people get a little squeamish about that verse. But I want you to understand here, in the parallel passages, he said, how much more will he give good things to them that ask? That was a general way he stated it, but here he tells us what the good thing is. Again, in reading through the commentaries, just checking myself to make sure I'm right, one of them said, this is the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. This is God manifest to in And through us. This is true revival. Don't get me wrong. There is a personal revival that any one of us can have at any time. But there's something greater. There's something that's broader. There's something that is corporate. There's something that must be sought by a group of people that is real. Do you want it? Do you? I think sometimes people don't know if they want it because they're not sure if they can have it. They're not sure if it's legitimate. Theology has consequences, young people, and what you believe about God will affect what you believe. Listen, some people think God's done. The age of God's great workings is over. That was all transitional within the book of Acts. Don't expect God to do much more than just help you hang on till the rapture here today. But I want you to know that's not my God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. My God doesn't change, right? Um, 
Here's the quote I was looking for. But if evil people do not harm their children, but on the contrary do them good. This is Leon Morris in the Tyndale commentary on Luke here. How much more will God do good to his children? This good is not left in general terms. He will give the Holy Spirit. Luke is interested in the work of the Spirit. And here he sees the gift of the Spirit as our highest good. There seems no reason for understanding this in terms of charismatic gifts. The reference is rather to the Spirit's work in the Christian life generally, as in Romans 8. You know, D.L. Moody had an experience where the Spirit of God came heavily and mightily upon him. If you read the book by R.I. Torrey, Why God Used D.L. Moody, you will find that at a point in time in his life, he realized something had come between him and God, like many of you did this week. And uh, it says here, uh, to quote the story one day in the city of New York on what, oh, what a day, I cannot describe it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me. And I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. This was actually quoted in Duncan uh, uh, Campbell's Price and Power of Revival. And he asked this question, were you ever there, brother? Oh, I ask you, were you ever there? Some of us have been there. Moody continued, he said, I went on preaching. The sermons were not different, yet hundreds were now converted. Are you willing to go on without that kind of a thing? Do you want that kind of a thing? Or do you think that's kind of creepy? I want that kind of a thing. Duncan Campbell said in another place, is there a hunger? Is there a cry? I've nothing. I've nothing save a sense of need. Bow in his presence and acknowledge it and bring that vessel of honesty, sincerity, and of true seeking after God and the promise will be fulfilled. I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. You think about that concept of the glory of God and the glory being departed. What is that glory? Well, if you look at the, uh, at the opening up of the temple under Solomon, what you find is they sang, they worshiped, they glorified God, they offered all kinds of sacrifices. And what happened is the presence of God came down and filled that place so much they couldn't even go in. That's what God does when he comes into a room. I believe as I mentioned earlier, you and I, as the temple of the Holy Spirit, that kind of infilling that can flatten a room is what God intends to happen in and through us. Are, do you want that kind of a life? Are you willing to go on without that kind of a life? Are you willing to go on without the fire of God? The unction from the Holy One, the outpouring, the overflowing. Or do you just set the altar, lay yourself on it, and call it a day? The altar is useless without the fire. Are you willing to have new life without the abundant life? Are you willing to have new standing without super uh, dynamic relationship? Are you willing to have new purpose without supernatural power? I remember when I was in college, I was in a class. I can't remember which one it was. It was either the ministry of the evangelist or the epistles of John. Very special class. And honestly, these weren't lectures, though they were lectures. These were times where, we, where, honestly, we were challenged to seek the face of God. It's kind of one of those classes, if you could boil it down to anything, it was seek the face of God. Those are awesome classes. And I remember one point, the evangelist who taught the class, he challenged us as a class. 
He taught on this matter of receiving the Holy Spirit, not like what happened when you got saved, but in the sense of welcoming and embracing and taking what is rightfully yours now, that ministry, that power, that presence, that blessing. I remember the time pretty well because, honestly, at that time, I had gotten sick like a week earlier and I lost my voice. I had no voice whatsoever. And I remember very specifically being so moved by that challenge at class. I think it was over here somewhere during the service. And I remember very specifically coming forward in that service, kneeling on my knees right over here and saying, God, I don't know what it means. I don't know how it looks, but I want everything that you have for me. All of it, don't hold anything back, God. I want all of it. I remember later on, I was out in ministry, not too long, very, very shortly out in ministry. And I remember I was doing a lot of scheduling, right? And uh, I was kind of proud of myself because I'd gotten this nice Salesforce database to manage all the contacts. And I had this little system that, guess what, was going to work. It was going to get it done. I remember being so enamored with the little system that I'd set up with the rinky-dink little set of tools that I'd gotten. And I remember at one point, it's like, it wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. Wasn't getting meetings. No movement whatsoever. And I remember at one point, I don't even remember where I was reading in the Bible, but I came across the word glory in the Old Testament. And I remember just that concept of glory, the presence of God. So impressed upon me, I remember at my father-in-law's house in Indiana, I remember going into the bedroom where my wife and I were staying, and I remember getting down on my knee next to the bed and saying, God, I may not understand all of it, but I want that glory upon me. Now, I can't make this stuff happen. My methods, my machinery... All the stuff that I've got that makes the machine move and run, it will not run without the oil of the Spirit. I need you, God. I need the glory. I remember particularly I was impressed by the Hebrew word kavod. And there was something about that word kavod that just stirred me in my soul. And I asked for it. And you know what? Honestly, as I got desperate on my face, it's just amazing how stuff happened even after that. I remember one time we were at a teen revival conference, what I consider to be the precursor of the V Generation Youth Summit way back in the day. I remember we had a prayer meeting, not a prayer meeting that was required. It was just a prayer meeting of young people that just was desperate to seek God right over in that room over there. I remember the preacher who was standing up and preaching and we were all very burdened because we had young people there. This was different than TGYS. TGYS, you got fun and preaching, fun and preaching, fun and preaching. The Generation Youth Summit was preaching, 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 skit, preaching, 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 preaching. It was good. God used it, man. God used it in some amazing ways. But you know what? Without God, nothing works. We were in that room over there and I remember as we were praying, we were on our faces. I remember Summer Rains that time she was Summer Smith. I remember she opened to a passage in John chapter 17 and there was something about as she spoke, it was as if God said, yay, in all of our hearts and we knew. It was like God came down. It was like God was sitting in the room saying, yep, this is exactly what I'm going to do right in that room over there. You can ask for this. You can take this. You can claim this. And God was there. It was like you could reach out and touch him. I'm trying not to talk experience, but man, you can't have the presence of God without it. And God was there and we saw him. And you know what? We were all in that room singing praise and glory. Hallelujah. Come to find out at the same time, God was working and manifesting himself here in this room. We didn't hear it, but it was happening. And yet we did hear it. 
I remember one time being down in Florida doing a war. And I remember I had a team of guys. Neither one of them was here from BCM. And um, I remember while we were there, uh, again, we'd had a couple weeks. And honestly, I felt like our prayer meeting sometimes just kind of get down and you just say the stuff, right? You just rattle off your wish list and hope some of it sticks. And I remember there at that one point, we found ourselves up against a wall. Everything went wrong. And we found ourselves in a prayer meeting with these two guys that haven't honestly heard maybe some of this kind of preaching. And as we're there, and as we're seeking, God came down. God came down. And I remember after we got up from that time of prayer, the guys looked at me and said, Mr. Bosler, what was that? One of the guys said, I think we're going to have a good meeting. God met with us. God was there. You know, I remember even as a freshman hearing um, Pastor Kagan, I remember at one point in the dormitory, he was talking about an evangelist that was back at his home church. And I remember him sharing with me that the presence of God had so come down upon that meeting. I don't even remember the details, but Pastor Kagan's brother was gripped. And God did an unbelievable, life-changing, direction-shifting work in his life. And I may not have all the details straight. All I remember was this. I remember hearing from him about God coming down over the phone. It was just reality. It wasn't tied to a name. It wasn't tied to a particular series or a progression. It was God. You want that kind of ministry? Do you want that kind of blessing? Do you want God to come down like that in your midst? Are you willing to go on without it? You know, I find that sometimes in the process of these things, he may depart, and we're fine. We're fine with that. You beef up the machinery, right? You beef up the machinery of your, of your life to compensate for what God isn't doing. And it's all vain without God. I'm not saying that you need to get rid of the machinery. I'm just saying it doesn't work without God. It doesn't work without God. You know, here in this passage, the promise here is that God wants to give you the life and ministry of his Holy Spirit. How do you get that? You got to believe the promise. Believe what God said. There needs to be a transaction of faith. What God says he means. It is a genuine and legitimate offer to you to ask. Ask for what? Ask for the ministry and power of the Holy Spirit in your life. That which changes everything. Ask. You will never ask until you first believe. If you don't believe, you'll just keep on going. You'll keep on tinkering with the machinery. Tuning it up here. Doing a little bit here and there. You'll never ask. And therefore, you'll never get. But if you're willing to believe the promise, then you need to pay the price. And you do that by impassioned, importunate, prevailing prayer. I'm not just talking about a set of boxes that you check. I'm not just talking about filling a certain period of time. I'm talking about true, impassioned, 
I will not let thee go kind of prayer like Jacob prayed when he wrestled with the angel, which was Jesus Christ in the wilderness there before that crisis with Esau. He knew if he didn't have God, it was all over. And he there in that place, as he wrestled with God, he said, I'm not going anywhere until you bless me. And we need that kind of prayer these days, that prayer that's willing to pay the price of God. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not needing another scrap of food. I'm not doing anything until I have you, God, in my life, until you show up and bless. Jacob didn't let go. Listen, I fear sometimes we assume the presence of God and we think that it's just going to be there, right? Because so-and-so wants it to be there, right? You can never assume the presence of God. It always bears a conscious price. That price is paid, I believe, in tortured, prevailing prayer, not just checking a box or filling a timeline, but truly seeking God and taking, taking, did you hear me? Taking the fullness of his blessing. Is your heart burning? Do you want this kind of life? Or are you content to go on without it? It's not a formula, but I will say certain features are always present. Yes, prayer, that's obvious. Communion, actually. Uh, sitting in the presence of God, faith, believing what God says, brokenness. I am undone. Carpet patterns on the forehead, right? Sometimes there's tears and boogers. Sometimes it's just anguish of soul, young people. But I want you to know there is brokenness and desperation. Are you desperate? Can you go on without that presence of God? Not only must you believe the promise, pay the price, but you also need to take the prize. You need to take the prize. There is a reality, too, when you're on your face seeking the Lord of that transaction of faith, that moment where you know you have and you can take. I don't know how to explain it. Yes, it's experiential, but it is real. You look and it's as if you just know this is for me. You just know this is for now. Looking into the word on your face on the ground, you just know this is for me right now. I can take this and I can run with it. Do you have the presence of God? Are you willing to go on without it? If you are, you will. If you are, you will. I don't mean to be down on the student body. Please don't misunderstand me. Y'all are awesome. I love you, kid. You budding adults. You need to own your responsibility to seek the presence of God. I can't do that for you. No one else can do that for you. Are you willing to pay the price?